Hello everybody, Dr. F. Scott Field here, and I'd like to introduce you to our newest sponsor. The NPTE Final Frontier is the review course that I wish was around when I took the board exam. For those of you who know my story, it took me a handful of times to pass that exam, and quite frankly, I really wish I had an an exam review course around, uh, just like the NPTE Final Frontier. Uh, Check out their website, npteff.com, and use the code HET at checkout for 10% off to all of our listeners and fans. All right, so if you are looking to go fully tenure track, you want to get the PhD, you decided you did your adjunct hours, you're a clinical instructor, and you've got the bug, you want to go teach, I would highly recommend as you move through your PhD program, one of the things we do here, my mentors who are not clinicians, but really, really strong researchers, have advised me to do a three-study dissertation. And that seems like a lot of work, but it's actually been great because, um, I don't know, did you ever do practicals in school where you had to practice how to do something? Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. So were you always super proficient at that particular technique the first time you did it? No, No, absolutely not. (laughs) So I like the three-study dissertation because it does make you practice everything involved in being an independent researcher. And I feel really good coming out of the program feeling like an independent researcher. That being said, no amount of knowledge or ability can prepare you to move from one university to another. And a lot of times when you go to look for a job, you're moving across the country. You're kind of going where there's availability. So you have to be really mobile. And that doesn't mean just because you take a tenure track position that you have a year off to kind of get settled, figure out the curriculum that you're teaching, start your lab. Equipment always takes a year or more to arrive to the lab. So you still have to put out articles that year that you're kind of waiting to get your roots planted. So I highly recommend to anyone going through a PhD program, I think the three-study dissertation is great. Or if you don't do that, you know, look into doing enough studies that you have data coming out of your PhD to be able to continue to publish at least for that first year. Yeah, I think you make some really good points about, you know, you have to go where the positions are and the positions are not always going to be in the town that you went to school in. So that kind of hits pretty close to my next question. Struggles that people who are interested in academia may not think about. So you had mentioned some location, tenure versus non-tenure, hybrid versus traditional programs, or even like the publish or perish mentality. Yeah, so I hear the publish or perish mentality all the time, and it terrified me before I came back to academia. But actually, I always joke around with my PhD mentor. He, his wife is a physical therapist, but he is not a clinician. And I always told him I came here to get the PhD for the teaching, but I stayed for the research. And I found that if you really do enjoy academia and it's somewhere that you think you're going to be happy, you, you just abhor that whole publisher parish idea. Unless you're at a really, really strong research university with a lot of pressure I find that it's not too difficult to get several publications out a year. You're not always going to be the first author and everything. It's got to be much more, in my opinion, a collaborative effort. Just like, you know, I think in therapy, we're taught, you know, you're going to sit down, you have a patient in front of you, and you have to help them solve their problems one-on-one. You're very much an independent individual person working alone. But I think in academia, we carry that mindset as the clinician 
forward and we think, oh my gosh, I have to do this whole study, this research project by myself, be completely independent. And that's really not the case. It's very rare people publish articles where they're the only author on the study. Most of ours have three to four people on them. You're going to collaborate with other people. Right now alone, I'm on projects with dental hygienists, with athletic trainers, speech therapists, biomechanists, neuroscientists. So you've got to kind of have your tribe, if you will, and you work with them um, to kind of avoid that publish or perish idea. And yeah, like location, you, you really need to go where the jobs are. So be ready to do that. My husband, who, bless him, is very, very supportive of my idea to go become a professor and get a PhD. I left behind a good job in acute care to go do it. But he switched his career as well and became a consultant working from home so that no matter where I ended up with a job, he was able to move with me. And so just think about how potentially moving at the end of your PhD may affect your family dynamic, your finances, all of that. It's a huge, huge, huge commitment and decision. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's kind of one of the reasons I had looked into the uh, non-traditional two-year programs because it gave you the flexibility to teach online and just have to go in for a couple of immersion labs here and there. I still don't yeah. know which direction I'm going to head, but uh, that's where we're at now at least. Those online programs are great. We're starting to convert even some of our programs online. And I think it's interesting because we're going to have to adapt as a faculty to online education. And so I know all of my education for PT school was in person, but more and more that's not becoming the norm. And it's a whole other beast to teach online. So that's also been something I've had to learn through the PhD program because it's very, very new um, here at Old Dominion University. And I know um, like USC now has their hybrid program as well. So I think we're going to see more of that in the future. I think it's a great option. As far as becoming an academic, you may have more flexibility, but it is going to bring with it a whole other way of teaching the students. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think, you know, the good news is some of the younger academicians nowadays moving into academia are going to be comfortable with the technology already. Some of the uh, older faculty may take some time getting used to it, but, you know, so far, so good. It seems like it's, uh, it's, it's gaining momentum and rolling along just fine. Um, but, you know, Brittany, what would you consider some important points? Uh, I know you mentioned it a little earlier, but when it comes to a curriculum vitae, like a CV, as they're commonly known, and a little bit maybe about the interview process for an applicant, what are some things that people getting into academia should look at? Yeah, so when you apply for a job, I think the number one thing you need to look at is, are you looking to primarily be an instructor or are you looking to primarily be a researcher? And it doesn't always have to be mutually exclusive, but there inevitably are going to be divisions of labor within faculty. And so you need to figure out where you fit into that division of labor. And so if you take a lecturer position expecting to do research, that doesn't make any sense. That's not consistent with what they want in a particular program. And often lecturers are going to be teaching three or four courses, so up to 12 credits in a semester. That's very, very teaching intensive. You may not have time to do a lot of clinical work or research, but you just have to understand how that plays into your plan. Likewise, if you're applying for a tenure track position and you want to be at an R1 school, so heavy research, you need to make sure you have a lot of publications. I would say no matter where you go, research is currency in academia. 
So the more publications, poster presentations, platform presentations, those are going to be your currency when you move into academia. People are going to look at those no different than as clinicians, we look at where people have worked, their clinical experience. We're just lucky we kind of get both. So to me, that's you know, that's the key is making sure you've really got that research going. You also want to make sure if you're teaching a specialty area that you maintain your specialty or, you know, any continuing ed in areas that you're going to be teaching. Make sure you maintain your license. I think the more you were talking about moving out of, you know, a clinical position, it's harder and harder to maintain a license in some states. So make sure you're familiar with your practice act in each state. You know, you really need to decide, are you going to look at more of a teaching program or more of a research program and, you know, tailor your CV to reflect that. I think that's great advice. You know, uh, knowing how to put together a proper CV is really important and it's really important to showcase not only your research if you want to be a researcher, but also your expertise if you want to be a clinical instructor so or a clinical um, faculty member. So I think you make some really great points, Brittany. And overall, this conversation has been extremely enlightening and I think very informative to people who are interested in pursuing a career in academia or even pursuing a higher uh, PhD or an EDD. So we can't thank you enough for coming on our show tonight. We do like to ask all of our guests this one final question. And as a loyal listener, I think you probably already know what it is, but if you could change one aspect of higher education in DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change and how would you change it? Yeah, I'm all this. I love this question that you ask everyone. And I went around to all of our faculty members this week and I kept asking and I got literally, I probably asked 30 people and got 30 different answers. <laughs> So and that's it. why we love that question so much. <laughs> so it's excellent. But I, I'll say I hope to see um, the application of exercise as a personalized medicine and physical therapy. Much of how we practice and teach practice to students focuses on whether a particular intervention works or not for a particular patient population. And that can become so broad because right now we're so diagnosis-based. You know, we say, oh, this works for stroke patients. But we know there's a million different types of patients who've suffered stroke. So I want to see the profession, both clinicians and researchers, come together to shift practice from choosing interventions via this shotgun approach that often takes years of experience to develop to a more purposeful, mechanism-driven approach that's customized to each patient. Much of the frustration that clinicians have with research, I think, is that we have a single patient to treat and they're sitting right in front of us and we've got to do it right now. And I call that the 10-foot view. Whereas a researcher is often thinking in terms of large frameworks or theories or the overall picture, and I call that the 10,000-foot view. So we're looking at the same thing but there remains this huge divide in rehabilitation between the two areas. So I think personalized medicine is the bridge to help bring us together for the benefit of humanity. Yeah, Brittany, really well said. I really like that outlook on things. Where can people reach out to you if, if they want to follow up with you online or on social media, if they have any questions or just want to chat? So probably the easiest if you need to send a longer message would be my email here at Old Dominion University. So that's B Spear. S-P-E-A-R at O-D-U dot E-D-U. And funny note, my maiden name is Brit is Brittany Spear. <laughs> so um, that's why there's 
that's why there's no small ski on that. But um, my maiden name stuck when I came back, even though I'd been gone for almost a decade. And then I have a Twitter as well. So that's at Dr. Britsky, B-R-I-T-T-S-K-I. So, and I can send those both out so you can post them. Excellent. We'll put those in the show notes. Brittany, thank you so much for your time. This was an awesome chat tonight. Thank you both for everything you do on the podcast and all your hard work. This is great. I think it's really helping to change the profession. I get all of my students to listen to this podcast. Well, good. We appreciate that. Thank you.